Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey guys, welcome to God's Whole Story podcast. I am Ryan and I am back uh, from taking care of my sons, (laughs) one of which is like (laughs) three months old. Um, I will miss it and not miss it all at the same time. (laughs) Um, Now the whole world knows. (laughs) And now the whole world knows everybody that downloads this particular episode. Don't tell my sons. Uh, No, I'm super glad to be back. Uh, I definitely missed doing the podcast because another secret of mine is that I actually like wanted to do this podcast just because I don't actually read the Bible on my own. I just like need some way to do it. So I was like, oh, is this just is this a confession episode? (laughs) Maybe maybe this is like you take a couple weeks off and you just want to get all your confessions out right away. Maybe that's what's happening. Um, but I'm back. I am confessing that I like love doing the podcast because I actually read my Bible, and I, I have to because it's part of my job now, um, which, which you would think being a pastor it was part of my job anyway. All that aside, uh, it's great actually to come back in Leviticus. I've been reading a lot about Leviticus in my time off, which probably sounds so, so boring. Um, but what I have realized— in my little bit of studying and stuff, like not being on the podcast, is that I never actually read Leviticus for myself really hardly ever. And it had like this weird mystical quality to it of like, oh, Leviticus, like you just know you're supposed to complain about it because it's supposedly boring even though you've never read it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you identify with that that, anyway? I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like – Until the Lots Boss came on the podcast and I was like, oh. (laughs) Now I feel very smart. <laughs> it's it's like it's legitimately true. Like I just knew growing up, and I think it's something we should pay attention to as Christians. It's it's um, growing up. I just knew like oh Leviticus gross, and it's like oh I never actually read it. I don't I don't know what's in there. I just know that everybody says it's gross. Um, so it yeah. is it is worthwhile to read because it's not full of like these really strange mystical rules. It's actually full of things that are just good ideas for life. Like actually, I think you can make the case that this is like. Um, God instituting some like pretty early science into his community. So like today, yes. we get we get instructions of what to do when there's mildew in your house. Guess what? It wasn't just now that people are concerned about black mold. They always have been. Uh, God told them to be concerned about it. Um, th- th- I, that to me is is very cool. That is like a loving God that's like, hey, keep your house clean. And if your house gets dirty, this is what you need to do to make sure that you stay healthy. It's not some kind of weird mystical thing where God puts all these requirements on people. He's actually concerned for his people and wants them to be a good example to cultures that are out there, but also wants them to stay healthy. So I think, well, talking to Chris and Lindsay about it, we just kind of came to the conclusion and this is my own words to it. They did not say this, but it's like the department of health for God. Yes. Department of like waste management. Yes. Like it's just like ways of running a society that the people didn't didn't know, um, or they just weren't used to because they were living in Egypt. And so as they're going into this new land, they need a new, like a government that tells them how to have a successful civilization. And, and God is taking incredible care in helping his people take smart steps to have a healthy community, like a, like a well cared for community in all the ways that the government like looks after us 
you know, we are the government, I guess, but in ways that we look after ourselves and our communities, God had that all covered. So I think like, for one, just actually read Leviticus, like actually do it so that you know what's in there and you're not just rolling your eyes when Leviticus comes up, not knowing what's even in that book. Um, Because we get to see God doing some things that I think we normally would not attribute to God. Like, again, just reading this passage today, it's like, oh, God cares about mold. That's really cool. Normally, we would think that that's like something for science, that's something for doctors. Well, God made all of it, so of course, God cares about that. Yeah. Man. Yeah, definitely. Welcome back. It Gla- is very interesting. It is. It's really cool. I'm so glad you're excited about Leviticus. <laughs> I actually am. It's just like it's just like when we started doing Job, I was like, ugh, I don't want to do Job. And then I read about it, and I was like, whoa, Job's actually pretty cool. Um, so just like same thing, Leviticus, Leviticus is pretty cool. Um, so we also get this, uh, day of atonement situation in Leviticus 16. Uh, do you want to say anything about that? Um, just that it's again, looking at Leviticus and seeing, Hey, what is like, what does it say about God? And how do I see Christ in it? If you look at the Day of Atonement, you see Christ in it. I mean, you probably know more than I do about the Day of Atonement. But um, did but you not just hear me say that I've literally never read this before? <laughs> um, you've read books, though. <laughs> A few. <laughs> you, you got street smarts. <laughs> um. <clears throat> But yeah, just uh, the scapegoat and Christ and seeing that, again, the Christ figure and what the people are looking forward to of this annual event is eventually there's going to be Jesus and no more annual event. It's just Jesus wiping the slate clean for everybody forever. Pretty cool. I think the the thing that sticks out to me here is that this is substitutionary atonement. So that might be like, you know, we don't normally throw those words around, I guess, but it would not have been unusual for the, the, the Hebrew folks, the Israelite folks here, um, to believe that their sins had been cast onto something and that their sins were taken away because of that thing. So, um, he, we as Christians, we believe that Christ has paid for our sin. Like our sins were transferred onto Christ before we were like, I mean, when we confess it, Christ takes that on. Uh, that is reflected here in Leviticus 16, where the people are trusting the priest to basically like transfer sin, to pay for sin and to transfer sin to this goat that gets carried out into the wilderness. Um, so yeah. I think in some ways, it may have been a little bit easier for people who grew up in that kind of a system to really understand what Jesus was doing. Um, maybe in some ways easier than for us, where we're like, well, I don't even know if I believe in sin, let alone if something's going to take it out into the woods for me. Like, Right. Yeah. So this is like God is consistently saying and showing like there is redemption coming. This is what you're going to do. Like, remember, we t- we've talked about this in the past. They were believing forward. So they were they were ultimately looking forward to that Messiah that would do this for them. But until then, they have this sacrificial system and this goat that's going to wander out into the wilderness. Uh, we now look backwards knowing that Christ has done this for us and we don't have to pay for it on our own. We just need to trust that he's done it. So it's that forward, backward salvation kind of situation. Yeah. And the, yeah, the foreshadowing of Jesus is something that I just love to see whenever. And sometimes it's like a really big stretch to see Christ in the Old Testament. I like, I'm aware of that, but this is not a stretch. This is actually like. This is pretty cut and dried. Like, oh, Jesus did related to Jesus. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yes. Um, 
it is very cool how God is consistently revealing himself and ultimately revealing Jesus uh, through the the plans that he's putting in place and the the rituals that he's putting in place for all these people. Um, I, I'm sure you guys have already touched on even just how important it was um, to enter into the holiness of God, like all these things that have to be done, all these things that Aaron has to do to be able to go into God's presence, how uh, concerned everybody has to be to do things ritualistically correct uh, because the holiness of God is so important and entering into his presence is so important. Right. Yeah. And yeah, one thing that we talked about is the main theme of this book is be holy for I am holy. And so yeah. God is so gracious to provide a way for the people that he loves to dwell with him, even though it's like, it's not perfect as far as um, it's not the ultimate plan. His ultimate plan is for everybody to be able to dwell with him, not just priests coming into his presence, but this is a way forward in that plan. Um, And then, yeah, the day of atonement is just another step in that of just your slate is wiped clean. And how much relief would those people have felt just to know, okay, the slate is clean now, like with all those sacrifices and rituals and laws to follow. Um, this day once a year is a gift for these people. So we are uh, hitting kind of like a turning point in Leviticus. If you really want to dig into the bones of Leviticus, um, Leviticus 16, um, if you imagine kind of like a mountain peak, sort of, um, we we kind of walk up the mountain to get to Leviticus 16. It's the top. It's the Day of Atonement. It's like this is what forgiveness and, and uh, sanctification is going to look like. Uh, now we're going to go back down the mountain. Uh, we've Going up, we've talked a lot about personal responsibility, a lot about like what individuals individuals do uh, to have um, right relationship with God. Coming down, we're going to talk a lot about what the community is going to do to have right relationship with God. So it is like this little bit of a subtle turn that is like, hey, you are all followers of God individually. Now we're going to look at what it looks like to be a community and do that together. So uh, just keep that in your mind. Um, but. Yeah. Leviticus is good. Leviticus is good. I want to go back to that that challenge of like, hey, go read all the boring passages because you're going to find out they're actually not that boring if you actually give it the time of day. Also, right. I needed to do that myself, so I'm not giving that blindly. <laughs> cool. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us today, and we're excited to keep digging into Leviticus. We're hoping you're enjoying it. Um, go ahead and follow us on social media. Ask us any questions that you have, and we will either answer them or ask somebody smarter than us to answer them. And... <laughs> We would love to talk about it, though. So, hey, and if, you, if you're oh. enjoying the podcast, if you're enjoying the podcast, please uh, find a way on what, like if it's iTunes, if it's Google Podcasts, if it's Stitcher, whatever it is, leave us a review. Um, because when you leave us a review, it actually helps uh, it helps to get the podcast out there to some other people that might not know about it. So if you just leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to, that would be awesome. We really appreciate it. It's a good thing you're back because I never think to say those things. <laughs> All right, guys. See you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Leviticus 14, beginning in verse 33. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When you arrive in Canaan, the land I am giving you as your own possession, I may contaminate some of the houses in your land with mildew. The owner of such a house must then go to the priest and say, It appears that my house has some kind of mildew. Before the priest goes in to inspect the house, he must have the house emptied so nothing inside will be pronounced ceremonially unclean. 
and the priest will go in and examine the mildew on the walls. If he finds greenish or reddish streaks and the contamination appears to go deeper than the wall's surface, the priest will step outside the door and put the house in quarantine for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest must return for another inspection. If he finds that the mildew on the walls of the house has spread, the priest must order that the stones from those areas be removed. The contaminated materials will then be taken outside of the town to an area designated as ceremonially unclean. Next, the inside walls of the entire house must, must be scraped thoroughly and the scrapings dumped in the unclean place outside the town. Other stones will be brought in to replace the ones that were removed and the walls will be replastered. But if the mildew reappears after all the stones have been replaced and the house has been scraped and replastered, the priest must return and inspect the house again. If he finds that the mildew has spread, the walls are clearly contaminated with a serious mildew and the house is defiled. It must be torn down and all its stones, timbers, and plasters must be carried out of the town to the place designated as ceremonially unclean. Those who enter the house during the period of quarantine will be ceremonially unclean until evening, and all who sleep or eat in the house must wash their clothing. But if the priest returns for his inspection and finds that the mildew has not reappeared in the house after the fresh plastering, he will pronounce it clean because the mildew is clearly gone. To purify the house, the priest must take two birds, a stick of cedar, some scarlet yarn, and a hyssop branch. He will slaughter one of the birds over a clay pot filled with fresh water. He will take the cedar stick, the hyssop branch, the scarlet yarn, and the live bird and dip them into the blood of the slaughtered bird into the fresh water. Then he will sprinkle the house seven times. When the priest has purified the house in exactly this way, he will release the live bird in the open fields outside the town. Through this process, the priest will purify the house and it will be ceremonially clean. These are the instructions for dealing with serious skin diseases, including scabby sores and mildew, whether on clothing or in a house, and a swelling on the skin, a rash, or discolored skin. This procedure will determine whether a person or object is ceremonially clean or unclean. These are the instructions regarding skin diseases and mildew. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Any man who has a bodily discharge is ceremonially unclean. This defilement is caused by his discharge, whether the discharge continues or stops. In either case, the man is unclean. Any bed on which the man with the discharge lies and anything on which he sits will be ceremonially unclean. So if you touch the man's bed, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. If you sit where the man with the discharge has sat, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water you will remain unclean until evening. If you touch the man with a discharge, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. If the man spits on you, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. Any saddle blanket on which the man rides will be ceremonially unclean. If you touch anything that was under the man, you will be unclean until evening. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. If the man touches you without first rinsing his hands, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. Any clay pot the man touches must be broken and any wooden utensil he touches must be rinsed with water. When the man with the discharge is healed, he must count off seven days for the period of purification. Then he must wash his clothes and bathe himself in fresh water, and he will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, he must get two dirl doves, two young pigeons, and come before the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle and give his offerings to the priest. The priest will offer one bird for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Through this process, the priest will purify the man before the Lord for his discharge. Whenever a man has an emission of semen, he must bathe his entire body in water, and he will remain ceremonially unclean until the next evening. Any clothing or leather with semen on 
on it must be washed in water and it will remain unclean until evening. After a woman and man have sexual intercourse, they must each bathe in water and they will remain unclean until evening. Whenever a woman has her menstrual period, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Anyone who touches her during that time will be unclean until evening. Anything on which the woman lies or sits during the time of her period will be unclean. If any of you touch her bed, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. If you touch any object she has sat on, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. This includes her bed or any other object she has sat on. You will be unclean until evening if you touch it. If a man has sexual intercourse with her and her blood touches him, her menstrual impurity will be transmitted to him. He will remain unclean for seven days and any bed on which he lies will be unclean. If a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during that period of time will be unclean, just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you'll be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you'll remain unclean until evening. When the woman's bleeding stops, she must count off seven days. Then she will be ceremonially unclean, clean. On the eighth day, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons and present them to the priest at the entrance of the tabernacle. The priest will offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Through this process, the priest will purify her before the Lord for the ceremonial impurity caused by her bleeding. This is how you guard the people of Israel from ceremonial uncleanness. Otherwise, they would die for their impurity will defile my tabernacle that stands among them. These are the instructions for dealing with anyone who has a bodily discharge, a man who is unclean because of an emission of semen or a woman during her menstrual period. It applies to any man or woman who has a bodily discharge and to a man who has sexual intercourse with a woman who is ceremonially unclean. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. The Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the main place of atonement is there, and I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right before the Lord. And then he must take two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present as a sin offering, the goat chosen by Lot for the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat chosen by Lot to be sent away, will be kept alive, standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and may write with the Lord. 
Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. After he has slaughtered the bull as a sin offering, he will fill an incense burner with burning coals from the altar that stands before the Lord. Then he will take two handfuls of fragrant powdered incense and will carry the burner and the incense behind the inner curtain. There in the Lord's presence, he will put the incense on the burning coals so the cloud of incense will rise over the ark's cover the place of atonement that rests on the Ark of the Covenant. If he follows these instructions, he will not die. Then you will take some of the blood of the bull, dip his finger in it, and sprinkle it on the east side of the atonement cover. He must sprinkle blood seven times with his finger in front of the atonement cover. Then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover and in front of it, just as he did with the bull's blood. Through this process, he will purify the most holy place, and he will do the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. No one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron enters it for the purification ceremony in the most holy place. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself, his family, and all the congregation of Israel, making them right with the Lord. Then Aaron will come out to purify the altar that stands before the Lord. He will do this by taking some of the blood from the bull and the goat and putting it on each of the horns of the altar. Then he must sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times over the altar. In this way, he will cleanse it from Israel's defilement and make it holy. When Aaron has finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. When Aaron goes back into the tabernacle, he must take off the linen garments he was wearing when he entered the most holy place, and he must leave the garments there. Then he must bathe himself with water in a sacred place, put on his regular garments, and go out to sacrifice a burnt offering for himself and a burnt offering for the people. Through this process, he will purify himself and the people, making them right with the Lord. He must then burn all the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man chosen to drive out the scapegoat into the wilderness of Azazel must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Then he may return to the camp. The bull and the goat presented as sin offerings, whose blood Aaron takes into the most holy place for the purification ceremony, will be carried outside of the camp. The animal's hides, internal organs, and dung are all to be burned. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water before returning to the camp. On the 10th day of the appointed month in early autumn, you must deny yourselves. Neither native-born Israelites nor foreigners living among you may do any kind of work. This is a permanent law for you. On that day, offerings of purification will be made for you, and you'll be purified in the Lord's presence from all your sins. It will be a Sabbath day of complete rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. This is a permanent law for you. In future generations, the purification ceremony will be performed by the priest who has been anointed and ordained to serve as high priest in place of his ancestor Aaron. He will put on the holy garments and purify the most holy place, the tabernacle, the altar of the priests, and the entire congregation. This is a permanent law for you to purify the people of Israel from their sins, making them right with the Lord once each year. Moses followed all these instructions exactly as the Lord had commanded him. 
Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, it means a lot to us, even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, if you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, we would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, you can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcast at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you, and if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.